Hello, readers. David Cohn is a former pitcher in Major League Baseball. In his 17 seasons with the Royals, Mets, Yankees, and Red Sox, he won five World Series titles, made five All-Star teams, pitched a perfect game, and took home the 1994 AL Cy Young Award. Currently, he's the color commentator for the Yankees on the Yes Network. Jack Curry is an award-winning sports journalist whose work on the Yankees pre- and post-game shows on Yes has led to four Emmys. Prior to that, he covered baseball for two decades with the New York Times, and he helped write Derek Jeter's book, The Life You Imagine. Together, they created a fantastic book that's part biography of David's life in baseball and part philosophical guide in the art of pitching as a guy who is a student of the game. It's called Full Count, The Education of a Pitcher. David, Jack, thank you for the time. How are you guys doing today? Thanks for having us. Great. Jack, we'll start with you. What inspired the book, and why was David the right co-author for you? I've probably known David going on about a quarter of a century now, back to my days as a baseball writer. And I always felt that when David was on the mound, like no other pitcher that I had ever seen, the wheels were spinning. He was thinking about what was he going to do next? What pitch was he going to throw? Who was in the on-deck circle? Did he need to pitch to this batter? Could he pitch around him? And then being in the clubhouse after games and, and hearing David dissect his own performance, I was always intrigued by his pitching intelligence. And I've been at the Yes Network now for 10 years. We're colleagues, we're friends. And a few years back, I just said to him, listen, I would love to do a book where we could crawl inside the mind of a pitcher. And I think you're the perfect pitcher because I feel like your intelligence, your creativity, your competitiveness, all of those things would be of interest to a reader. And fortunately, David bought my pitch, and that's why you have the book uh, in front of you that you read. So, David, it didn't take much convincing by Jack to get you on board then? No, not at all. I think there's a big, tremendous trust factor with Jack because we've known each other so long, as he just described. And uh, going back to his New York Times days, his resume really speaks for itself. And he'd already worked with Derek Jeter doing a great book as well. So, uh, you know, it was an easy decision for me. I I think Jack and I are both kind of pitchy nerds, so to speak. We both uh, talk on a different level when it comes to pitching. His curiosity uh, about the the art of pitching uh, really has always struck me. And, uh, I knew he'd be the right guy to be able to, to do something a little different, a little creative, and uh, kind of tell a journey, kind of an honest journey that shows a little, a little bit of everything, even the vulnerable sides of, of pitching. Uh, when, when you kind of lose your mind out there, you have to remember I'm a pitcher that once argued with an umpire while two base runners scored. So you know, <laughs> we, we get that side of it too. When you, when you kind of lose your mind out there, and how important it is for, for a catcher, a good catcher, to kind of uh, to, to get you back, back in line. David, the book opens with the perfect game in 1999 and kind of your emotions and feelings in between the eighth and the ninth innings before you went back onto the mound. Uh, Would you describe what was going on during that perfect game and also why you guys decided to open the book with that very moment? Well, I I think, you know, Jack understood uh, exactly kind of what I was going through because he knows me so well. And uh, when you're in the middle of a perfect game, nobody wants to talk to you. Uh, And certainly in the latter innings, uh, the the crowd really picks up on on what's going on, especially, uh, you know, in Yankee Stadium, those baseball fans are so passionate that they anticipate the flow of the game and understand what's happening next and that the cheers progressively get louder along with the pressure. And you know, it's it's 
I've got eight innings of perfect baseball under my belt, and I walk up into the clubhouse at Yankee Stadium, the actual locker room, and everybody scatters. All the clubhouse kids run, literally run out of the clubhouse because nobody even wants to make eye contact with me. So I really needed something, and I walked into the bathroom and looked in the mirror and had a proverbial talk in the mirror with myself. That was the only person who would talk to me, uh, even though he didn't talk back. But uh, it was it was an unusual moment in, in my career, really in my life. I've never had that proverbial uh, look at yourself in the mirror and, and have that talk to, uh, with yourself. And uh, I think Jack kind of saw the uniqueness of that situation and then my willing to be honest about uh, what was going through my mind at that particular time. Jack, considering how long you've been covering baseball, more specifically the Yankees, were you actually on hand for the game that day versus the Expos? Oh, you had to ask me that, huh, Trey? <laughs> <laughs> I was off that day. Wow. I decided to take a weekend, a nice Sunday day off. But I will say this, I did end up working that day. I, I did end up writing, and obviously I watched the game. But, you know, when you get a little you get a little bit of seniority as a newspaper guy that I was back then, sometimes you look to take the weekend days off. So you outed me. I, I was <laughs> there in attendance. It's totally understandable, especially during the rigors of 162-game baseball season. I mean, play-by-plays get, take uh, time off. David, you as a, an analyst take time off, I'm sure, during the season, a couple days here and there, and Jack, you do as well. Now, Jack, you spoke with more than 25 baseball people in gathering stories and quotes for this book. Was there a favorite conversation for you among that research? I, I really enjoyed, too, uh, Glavin and Maddox, because... They were David's contemporaries. They were his peers. They were his competitors. And a lot of times what we did, guys, was when David had a theory or a philosophy and maybe he pulled another pitcher into it and said, I loved, I loved uh, Maddox's two-seam fastball. And I, I loved what he did to batters and the way he could just pierce the inside corner against a lefty. Or I loved the way Glavin stretched the zone. He, he would take two inches. If the umpire gave him two, he was looking for three. So I would, in turn, call those pitchers and talk to them and I felt like Maddox and Glavin if David and Maddox and Glavin sat down in a room to talk pitching someone might have to knock on the door 24 hours later because I feel they'd be speaking the same language (laughs) and I feel as if the stories would just keep coming and coming and coming. I really love that aspect of the book, David relating his own personal experiences and also things that he learned from some of the other greats to play the game. Uh, You do talk a lot about mechanics and the psychology of pitching. At one point, you do cite something that Greg Maddox said, and the quote goes like this, You want to be able to only have to worry about pitching, not how to throw pitches. David, why do you love that quote so much? Well, it just makes so much sense, you know, there's the, especially in today's game with all the analytics and all the information that, that is available for, for the current player that what, what sometimes gets lost is just the feel, the feel for pitching, the conviction behind your pitches. And uh, if you are worried about mechanics or if you are inundated with information in your brain when you're trying to execute a pitch during the course of the game, then sometimes that, that, that can inhibit you from actually uh, throwing a quality pitch. So when when push comes to shove at the end of the day, when, when you're actually competing, you need to have sort of a blank slate in your mind so that you can just naturally execute your mechanics and worry about the execution of the pitch instead of how you go or the process, uh, the process of mechanically how you throw the pitch. And I've seen so many pitchers and hitters, for that matter, they kind of get bogged down uh, that you can tell that the, they're thinking a little too much about the process instead of just exactly how to execute whatever they're trying to do. So 
I thought that was a bit of genius for Maddox, and I, I certainly uh, I can corroborate that because uh, that's exactly how I felt when I was pitching. Hmm. David, how do you prevent that, right? Uh, I mean, to me, pitching seems like maybe the most mentally exhausting position in all of sports because you're just by yourself. Uh, you're involved in every single play, and you're just by yourself on an island on that mound. You know, when you get into a little bit of a jam or you give up a crooked number in an inning and things just aren't going your way or you know you don't have your best stuff, how do you just kind of leave all that mental nonsense to the side and just focus on executing? Yeah, I think that is the key. I, I think the, the point the point of the quote, I think, really is, is that you have to really trust your stuff and you have to trust the, your ability to execute. And if, that, if you are hung up on that process part, then you can't even get to the next part, which is which pitch to throw, what, reading the body language of a hitter, um, executing the pitch that you know is the right pitch to throw, uh, even if it means shaking off your catcher, uh, having the rhythm of everything go properly and have a catcher that, that, that is quick with his signs all play into it. But if you're hung up on the process initially, if you're wondering, Geez, uh, am I landing right? Uh, am I breaking my hands at the right time? If you are consumed with the mechanical process of throwing the pitch, then you can't even get to the next level of, of what, which pitch to throw or what is, what is the right sequence of pitches to, to kind of try to engage in. So I think the way you do it on the mound is you just have to have full faith in, in what you're doing and trust the fact that uh, your preparation has gotten you to the point where you should be able to execute the pitch. And, you know, breathing helps. A deep breath on the mound, a mound helps. A good catcher and, and a trust factor with your catcher really helps probably as much as anything. Jack, you already admitted that you guys have uh, enjoyed nerding out with one another over the mechanical <laughs> side of pitching over the last decade and working for the S Network together. Was there something that you were surprised to learn uh, while writing this book about the art of pitching that you guys hadn't really discussed before? Not surprised, but I guess enlightened by the pitcher-catcher relationship. One of my favorite chapters in the book, we call it The Dance with Catchers, and it's one of the longest <laughs> chapters in the book. And I obviously knew covering baseball all these years that pitcher-catcher relationship is paramount, and I knew how much David enjoyed throwing to Joe Girardi, and I knew that he and Jorge Posada had issues because Joe Torre stopped putting Posada back there to catch Cone. But to hear David describe it, and he just hinted at it a little bit in his last answer, sometimes a fist pump from a catcher goes a long way. Sometimes uh, let's go. You're, you're there. I feel it coming for you. The mental side of it and just how much you, you need a co-pilot or, as David called it, a dance partner. You lead, you take a step, then I take a step. Maybe I take two steps, but you know I'm going to take two steps. That part of it really stood out for me. And I ended up interviewing several of his catchers, Girardi, Posada. He loved throwing to Charlie O'Brien as well. So that you talk about nerding out that pitcher-catcher relationship, which really is 90% of baseball. I-, I loved hearing David describe that. All right, I'm going to ask you, David, a question that uh, to somebody who hasn't read the book before, it's going to sound very awkward, but I promise it is an innocent question to anybody listening right now. How did your small hands give you a productive hooker that baseball scouts aren't usually too fond of? Yes. uh, uh, Wow. That's a good one. (laughs) You got me there. Uh, You know, I think uh, wrist action is, is really an integral part of, of, of throwing a baseball, of putting spin on a baseball. And I tried to get my whole body into my delivery. I'm very average size. I'm about six feet, 185 pounds. 
Uh, by today's standards, I, I I might not even get signed. You know, a lot of the a lot of the uh, physical attributes have to be much bigger. Obviously, uh, a lot of big guys on the mound today. But for me, it was even as as much as a, as a wrist cock. You know, at the bottom when I broke my hands at the bottom of the arc of my arm before I brought the arm up to the top to to actually release the baseball, I kind of hooked my wrist. I really was active with my wrist. I had a lot of movement in there. And they call that wrapping or hooking your wrist. And a, a lot of scouts and a lot of pitching coaches really frowned on that and tried to break me of that habit when, when I came up at the minor leagues with the Royals. And it was something that I couldn't change. It was so it felt so natural to me. And it, it, I think it really helped me. I think, I think it helped me snap my slider and get a tighter spin on my breaking stuff, and, uh, which was probably my best pitch. And I think it helped my fastball hop, too. I think it helped me get a little life on my fastball, a little extra pop on it. And, you know, that, that's something we talk about. I think Masahiro Tanaka does it nowadays. If you watch his delivery, you'll see a really active wrist and kind of a wrapping at the bottom of his, of, of his delivery. And it's something that I've grown to really appreciate. And, and I'm really glad that I didn't listen to a lot of those pitching coaches that told me that uh, you're going to hurt your arm if you keep doing that. You better stop it. And, you know, I, I pushed back. I was a little bit of a rebel and that's another, I think, message in the book is uh, your own conviction. Trust your own belief sometimes because uh, questioning authority at times is a good thing. Asking questions about why I can't do something that feels so right to me is a good thing. And, and I'm glad I stuck to my convictions. And I'm even more firmly uh, a believer of that nowadays than, than I was uh, even back then when I was pitching. No question. I feel like if a stat like spin rate was around back then, they would have uh, lightened up on the wrist cock as well, David. And uh, more serious question now, and I really enjoyed you writing about this, your relationship with your mom and your dad and their importance in your life and then also your baseball life. Just how important were your parents and uh, you becoming a baseball lifer? Oh, it, it, it meant everything. Uh, it really did. I mean, my dad was a blue-collar guy. He worked the graveyard shift in a meatpacking plant, and he still found time to get an hour or two of sleep and get up and coach me or catch me in the backyard. And, you know, I'd poke him. I still remember going in his room and poking him, saying, Dad, come, let's go. It's time to practice. And he would always get up. He'd always get up with a smile. He'd always get up and say, let's go work. And uh, mom was right there every step of the way, too. Mom was very involved with all of the games. She was the scorekeeper. And I still can still hear her yelling at me from the stands to throw strikes. And <laughs> she was always encouraged. She, she really was. She liked, She was a fan of pace of play. She would be in favor of pace of play rules. She saw a lot of little league games uh, and then wanted us to throw strikes and get to get the action going. But mom was also a philosopher in terms of she really understood kind of what we talk about nowadays in analytics analytics is uh, regress to the mean. I mean, you're never as bad as you think you are when things are going really poorly, and you're never as good as you think you are when you're really lighting it up or things are going well. So she understood regression to the mean. She understood due. She said, you're due for a good one. You're a good player. Hmm. Don't worry about it. You know, things are going to turn around for you. And then when I was going really well, she had a way to cut me down to size too. So, <laughs> mom, mom, I still I still reference my mom even on air today about uh, philosophy and uh, you know how to interpret the luck factor in the game today. That's, That's awesome. Fantastic. That's awesome, David. And of course, you initially retired after the 2001 season. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you started working for the Yes Network right after that, but then you came back, of course, in 2003 with the Mets which I don't think sat too well with George Steinbrenner. Uh, what kind of went into to all that decision and, and you ultimately coming back to the game for that one final season? 
Well, you know, I think a lot of it is, uh, you know, when you, when you retire, uh, you're lost for a while. You're so used to the structure of the game, and there's a little bit of a panic that goes on. You know, you have an identity crisis because your whole life is wrapped up in being a, being a major league baseball player or a pitcher, obviously. And I got a call from a couple of old buddies, John Franco and Al Leiter, who were pitching for the Mets at the time, and uh, they kind of uh, encouraged me to take one more shot. Uh, you know, what do, you know, what do I have to lose? And and uh, I kind of did it on a whim, really. It was a little bit of panic because I, I missed the game and uh, didn't really have much going on in my life at that time. And a little bit of, you know what, uh, I've always been a guy that uh, you have to rip the uniform off or have that mentality. And I, I can definitely say that comeback with the Mets showed me that I, that I couldn't do it anymore, uh, that uh, it was time for me to take the uniform off. And uh, nonetheless, I... I, I certainly enjoyed that time trying to come back, but it, it also was painful because, uh, you know, I got smacked in the face uh, that, that uh, you know, the game had passed me by and that physically I just couldn't do it anymore. David, you referenced it earlier, getting ticked at umps occasionally for incorrectly calling uh, something, including balls and strikes uh, for times, not just for the individual at bat, but because of the potential ramifications on your entire outing. Jack, we'll start with you on this one. Would you be okay with letting the computers call balls and strikes? Ooh, that's a good one. That's a tough question. I, I think we're trending that way, guys. I I don't mind the human element of, of umpires back there. I think every pitcher and every catcher would tell you that what they want is consistency. They want to know from inning one to inning nine, What's the strike zone? But the way that umpires are judged now and the fact that every pitch that is called, they are judged, I wouldn't be shocked if down the line we we were talking about some sort of robot umpire or something like that. How about you, David? Yeah, I've sort of evolved on this issue. You know, I was was an old-school guy when I played in the National League. I was uh, almost anti-DH. And, uh, you know, now after playing in the American League and now being retired as a broadcaster, I'm kind of pro-eliminating the DH. Uh, I mean, uh, pro-adding the DH, rather. Let me be clear on that. Uh, You know, it's a a job creator in my mind. I'm an old uh, Players Association guy. Uh, I think it would, it, would, it would add 15 new jobs to the National League. So, yeah, I think we should add the DH to the National League. And I also think that with regard to robo-umpires, I think the time is probably coming. I, I, I'm probably on board even more and more the more I watch the game. And I think you could still have an umpire behind home plate calling the game, but I think with technology he could have some sort of uh, uh, radar tracking system or a beeper in his ear that could uh, overrule pitches or help him call a more uniform strike zone. And I think a more uniform strike zone would lead to increased pace of play. Um, I think calling strikes that are strikes and hitters getting used to that and starting to swing the bat a little more may even help with putting the ball in play a little more, at least trying to, at least swinging the bat more and getting the at-bats going a little quicker. But, yeah, I think at this point, taking some of the pressure off of the umpires, and I think we've seen that with the other instant replay with with regard to the bases, uh, you know, it's, there's no more arguments with the umpires. I mean, a lot of people like those arguments, but it takes takes all of the ambiguity out of it uh, and takes a lot of the pressure off of the umpires. And, uh, you know, I, I really do think at this point in time that, that maybe umpires that, that had a little uh, little radar head tracking device or had some help from that device uh, could certainly, uh, certainly be a good thing for the strike zone. Interesting good thoughts points. right there, guys. All right, before we let you go, Look, it seems like everyone around the Yankees organization is hurt this year. How uh, are you guys healthy? Are you guys okay? What's what's going on up there this year, man? Well, you said it perfectly. They've been decimated by injuries, yet 
somehow, despite all of that, their supporting actors, their their B players have produced, and you've seen players like Domingo Herman, a kid who has essentially had to fill in for Severino in the rotation, pitch as well as Severino did last year. You've seen Gio Urshela, who the Yankees picked up for cash from the Toronto Blue Jays, take over the third base job, so much so that Miguel Andujar, who finished second in the Rookie of the Year last year, has had to DH. They've, they've weathered losing not only players, guys, but all-star caliber players. And it's why I think Aaron Boone deserves a ton of credit. People are so quick to criticize managers. I think Boone has, has done a really nice job of keeping this group together. And it's interesting that the, the supporting actors have a lot of confidence in themselves. Yeah, that, that's really well said, Jack. And, uh, you know, the, the interesting dynamic that, that's happening among the Yankee fan base now is it's, it's, it's as if, uh, you know, all the pressure has been taken off with all the injuries and all the expectations of this team has to win the World Series. Now it's it's kind of been blown up. And now the, the, there's a uniqueness to the fan base in terms of uh, how they're really enjoying all these replacement players coming in and playing so well. And it's almost as if... Uh, who is Gio Urshela, and oh my God, we can't lose Gio Urshela within, in a matter of about a month. So that's the dynamic that's going on. And some of the young players, say whether it's a Clint Frazier or they have a, another rookie, uh, Estrada, playing shortstop the other day, hitting his first major league home run and playing great defense. Uh, the list goes on and on. Domingo Herman is uh, maybe a Cy Young Award candidate this early in the season or maybe even having you know, a a chance to make the all-star team if he continues on. So the, the fan base loves all these young players. The underdog Yankees is, is a sell right now, if you can believe that. I mean, the, the evil empire are suddenly underdogs with all the injuries, but it, it has really resonated with the fan base, to, almost to the point where it, it's a lot of fun to watch this team now. It's a bizarre world for sure. He is David Cohn, former Major League pitcher in the 17 seasons with the Royals, Mets, Blue Jays, Yankees, and Red Sox. He won five World Series titles, made five All-Star teams, pitched a perfect game, took home the 1994 AL Cy Young Award. Jack Curry is an award-winning sports journalist who has covered baseball for a long time now, including with the New York Times. They both currently work for the Yes Network, and they're both currently responsible for the brand-new book, Full Count, the Education of a pitcher it's available now wherever books are sold guys thank you so much for the time today really enjoyed the book and also really enjoyed the conversation best of luck with things thank you gentlemen thanks a lot for having us a lot guys yeah we appreciate it